Let me say a quick prayer and we'll get into our message. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather and thank you for the, um, the people that are here. Thank you so much for uh, your word and what it is that you just continually do in the midst of us and among us. Um, we're just so grateful to be in this place. Um, be with us. And my prayer today is that you would actually speak to us in your name. Amen.
I know. I know, what am I doing? <laughs> I debated for a long time as I was preparing for today how long I was going to be silent for and I didn't take into account <laughs> other factors. Had I perhaps a little bit more controlled environment, um, I probably would have just sat for a little bit longer. And it's amazing, just in that silence, which was extremely short, how there's a nervous laughter, what was going through your mind? It's like, is he prepared? <laughs> is, is he going to say anything? Is, I, this is a sermon, isn't it? I, what, what kind of church is this? Um, maybe, maybe even there's that impulse, that, that silence. that I, got, I have to fill it somehow. Something, get, something has to get in there. Something has to... Would somebody just say something? And when my beautiful daughter then interrupts the silence, it's for many of us, it's like, finally something is filled into the room. Or it, it, It's great to have that break. This was hard for me to consider for how to do. Because for those of you who have been to Israel with us, You've been in the desert, and we do some walking around, but if you pause for a moment and just sit, it is deathly silent. And if there's no wind on that day, the only thing that you begin to hear is the sound of your, your own blood rushing through your veins. I mean, it is that piercingly silent. And it's so silent, so quiet, that... It's, it's almost loud. You're not used to that kind of quiet. You're not used to that kind of silence. I mean, here we have the train running by. We have electric power buzzing through the air. We have children rummaging about. and We have shifts and turns and creak, creaks of our chairs. But What does it mean to actually sit in the silence? Now, one of the questions that I asked in those slides is, what were you expecting? And part of the reason why silence is sometimes extremely awkward and uncomfortable is because we show up expecting something. We show up with an expectation. And especially in our culture, we show up with an expectation. Say something, speak something, give me something so that I can walk away from a service or walk away from the community. I've learned something, I've grown something, I've, I've gained something. Please fill that space. You wouldn't necessarily expect to show up to our service anyway or church services like ours just to sit in silence. That would be, in many ways, a waste of time. Yet what we for often forget is that written in our text, in the study that we've been going through, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, we're now in Numbers, 
and throughout Christian tradition, there are loads of moments when the spiritual discipline that is most appropriate, that is the most formative, and the one that speaks perhaps the deepest to you, are the moments where you are absolutely silent. Get out into the wilderness or in the desert, and you just stop listening, and you almost stop trying to hear your brain because those wheels are turning, and the schedule is going, and that email ding is happening, and that message ding is happening. It's really hard for us. Last week, Ari introduced our series in the book of Numbers, and he shared with you that the book of Numbers, which is written in English as Numbers, is in Hebrew the phrase, Bamidbar, Bamidbar, meaning in the wilderness, in the desert. And what I thought I'd do this morning is to ask some questions, and this is one of them. Have you actually ever been to the desert, and what does it mean to be in the desert, and what does it mean to be in the wilderness? And one of the reasons why being in the wilderness or being in the desert can be so powerful for our journeys is because it is out in the desert that there is no noise. You have gotten away from the hammers of Egypt and the bricks of Egypt. You've gotten away from the rumblings and the grumblings of your life that you had, and you are now out in this space and this place that is desolate and deathly silent. And so I opened up with some silence to just, at least for a brief moment in time, for us to experience. Yeah, that silence is a little unnerving. That moment of quiet is really uncomfortable. And I would really appreciate if somebody broke that silence. Because I have an expectation that somebody's going to fill that silence, fill that void, fill that quiet with something. And part of the lesson that we are going to look at today is before we even get to the written word, before we even get to the spoken word, before we get to the point where God speaks and these stories emerge, we have to remember that it starts with a moment where they're out in the wilderness, in the silence. The book of Numbers starts off like this. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting, and here's the phrase, in the desert, Bamidbar, of Sinai. On the first day of the second month, on the second year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. He said, take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one. You and Aaron are to count according to their divisions, all the men of Israel who are 20 years old or more, and able to serve in the army. One man from each tribe. Each of them, the heads of his family, is to help you. These are the names of the men who are to assist you. And then he goes off on the list. Reuben and Simeon, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Ephraim, Manasseh. 
etc., etc., etc. If you are in the silence, if you are out in the wilderness, if you are out in the desert, if you are out where you are begging somebody to fill that silence with a word from the Lord, question is the first thing you want to hear is, okay, let's start counting people. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. This would make a great sermon, wouldn't it? Okay, everybody, thank you so much for coming. I'd like to get into my message now. Let's find out how many are here. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. And then we'll do the pastor's count. Thank you for all 700 of you that have shown up today, right? What, what is this? We've just sat in awkward silence, and you're telling me we're, we're, we're going to count people? That's what we're going to do. This makes no sense. And part of the reason why our eyes and our ears and our brains and our hearts just glaze over when we get to particular passages like this is because we don't want to spend the time going, all the men 20 years old or more who were able to serve in the army were listed by name one by one according to the numbers of their clans, their number of Reuben, 4,600 From the descendants of Simeon, all the men 20 years old who were more able to serve in the clans, 59,300. Okay, let's do that again. All the men 20 years old or more, you know, it's just over and over and over repetition. It's like, okay, can we get to, I, I would love to find a verse that I can put on my bumper sticker. I need a verse of the day, something I can put on my mirror. You know, I'm not going to put on my mirror in the morning to give you the devotion. The number from the tribe of Judah was 74,600. Thank you, Lord, for that today. So what is this all about? I mentioned earlier that there was a context of expectation. Part of the reason why for us silence is so uncomfortable and it's awkward, and it's weird. How long are you going to let this go on? There's an expectation that the space that we are in needs to be filled with something. And the reason why, I think, the beginning portion of Numbers begins with an accounting of the people is because of the story that has just happened throughout Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and now Numbers. And they are in the desert, and we are beginning to turn towards something wonderful that is happening into the future. For those of you who know this story, they get uh, multiplied, the, the Israelite nation, they multiply, they grow and grow in number, but as a result of growing in number, they become oppressed by this oppressive nation called Egypt. But Somewhere along the line, God comes to them and says, I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to free you. There's, there's going to be no more of this slavery. But the problem is it takes 400 years for that redemption to come. Finally, after that 400 years, by the way, do the people that cry out, are those the people that are freed from Egypt? 400 years later, the answer is no. Those people that cried out, they died in Egypt. So 400 years later, finally, God comes through, and you know the story about the plagues. You've seen the Ten Commandments. You've seen Charlton Heston, you know, waving his staff, and Israel is freed, and they head on out into the desert. And then they run into challenges and problems even there. And the generation that is there, that has been freed, that got to see the plagues and the miracles of God, the generation that got to see the handiwork of God, the generation that got to be liberated out of Egypt, they are now in the desert heading to a beautiful place. But what happens there? Do they make it out? No. They also die in the desert. This is a story. When you think about the full breadth of what has happened, the people 
that are crying out, the people that are yearning for freedom, the people that are yearning for hope, the people that are yearning for that promised land, that symbol and image of, yes, finally, God's redemption, the beauty of what God has for us is finally here. The people that cried out for that never get to experience that. Are you with me? Do you you feel the tension of this? Sometimes this is something that we gloss over. This story that we read in the uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy narrative is full of people that do not experience the fullness of the redemption. Did you ever stop and think about that? We celebrate the beauty of God rescuing his people out of Egypt. We celebrate the beauty of God giving the Ten Commandments, and we celebrate Joshua heading into the promised land and conquering the nations, and now Israel is free. What we don't often pause to consider is that generations have come and gone in the midst of that story. Now think about that for a second. If you're writing a story about your national identity, if you're writing a story about God's hope and redemption and what what God is doing in your life, if you're writing about entering into the promised land and receiving and finally realizing this great hope, this great peace, this great redemption, this great rescue, do you write about things and or moments and or people that have to die in the desert in order to get there? That, my friends, is an extremely awkward silence. One commentator, Aviva Zornberg, mentions that the reason why we start the book of Numbers with counting, which all of us just glaze over, is because perhaps they have counted the number of people that they have lost along the way. So, is there anybody left from the tribe of Reuben? Let's make sure they're here. Let's keep account. We, we know we've lost family, members, generations. We've lost them. Let's keep count. Are they, okay, I'm going around. You're here, you're here, you're here. Okay, I now need to report. There are 46,500 of us here. Now that number in and of itself for those of us without this context, are going to glaze over. Okay, great, you got a number. No, there's 46,500 of that clan, of that tribe, that are still alive, still thriving. And let us not forget that even though the previous generations have passed away and they don't get to experience the beauty of this, we are remembering their ancestry, and we are keeping an account of those who have come after them, and we want to celebrate, and we want to account for, there's 46,500 from that tribe that are here. Yes, we mourn the loss of the previous generation of those parents, and those grandparents, and those great-great-grandparents, but the reason why we count is because they are here. Not all of us are gone. Not all of us have died in the desert. They, even though we're going to die in the desert, continued to be fruitful and multiply. They, even though they were going to die in Egypt, continued to share, continued to spread the message, continued to pass on this beautiful tradition to the next generation. They, even though they were going to die in the desert, never stopped fulfilling their calling and their identity as the people of God. And so let's count. There's 45, 
46,500 from this clan. There's 59,300 from this clan. There's 45,650 from this clan. There's 74,600. There's 54,457. And as you start to count the numbers, you start to realize we're here. We are here. You're here, you're here. And you count and you count and you count and we are here. It is beautiful. Let's celebrate. And let's be thankful that even though those things have died in the desert, we are here. The names of the books of the Bible uh, and the stories that have gone before us, Genesis begins with chaos and then God speaks. And out of his speaking into that chaos comes a beautiful creation. Exodus then starts off with the names of those people that have inherited that beautiful creation. So now that God has spoken into chaos and done this beautiful creation, now there's a name. Let's put names on identity, purpose, hope. Leviticus, actually the name in Leviticus is, and he called. Now that you've been created, now that you've been named, I am going to call you into a life that is holy just like I am holy. And once again, in numbers, those people that have been named and called are cast out into the desert. And it is almost as if in this book, they remember these stories and they say, we are now back in the original chaos, the desert, the wilderness, back from Genesis 1. Will you, God, will you speak in this and create something new and wonderful out of us. Even though we've gone through the chaos of a loss of generation, even though we've gone through the chaos of people not making it out of Egypt, not making it out of the desert, will you speak into that? Please, God, speak into that in this wilderness, in this desert, and cause something wonderful and beautiful to come up. And then as we get to Deuteronomy, the word for Deuteronomy, the varim, actually means words, the speaking And so this entire beginning foundational story is all about God speaking and calling into chaos, into creation, out of the desert, into identity, out of the wilderness, into some form of new purpose. And you see this over and over and over. So my friends, I hope that the silence at the beginning wasn't too terribly awkward. But I also hope that a moment of silence will remind you that perhaps, or be an illustration for you, that perhaps, you know what, there are moments in my life where there's chaos and there's a desert and there's an awkward silence. There's a transition from a job. There's a loss of a relationship. There's a lost expectation of schooling or a direction or some sort of project that you were to have. There was a culture or a place about work that you had hoped was going to be something, and then all of a sudden you're out in the middle of nowhere because of disruption, and you are in that desert, and you are in that silence, and it is an awkward silence because you had an expectation of how things were supposed to be. And you're just begging God to speak into that, just like he did in Genesis. Name it. Give me some sort of purpose, just like he did in Exodus. Call me out into some sort of purpose in this world, as he did in Leviticus. And speak into the wilderness, into the desert, as he is doing in Numbers. 
And maybe one of the first things he needs to do in your life and in our life is to start counting. You're here. One, two, three. Here's what you have. Here's what did survive. Here's what fruit came out of your labor. Here's what is here. And if you spend too much time mourning the loss and the death, then you just sit and live in the awkward silence. And maybe what you need to do is say, okay, God, speak into that awkward silence, into the desert, into the wilderness, and let's start counting who is here. Okay, I'm here. I have this. I have this. This is here. And start taking an account for what you do have in the wilderness. And then as you begin to continue to walk through that awkward silence with an accounting of what you do have, of what God has given you, then you can begin to make your way into the promised land, into that future hope, into whatever it is that God has for you in the future, and not just sit in the awkward silence. in the desert, in the wilderness. Just waiting for something? Let's start counting. Lord, thank you for these um, texts and these passages. And I'm not exactly sure sometimes what you always intend to communicate to us through these stories, but I hope that in some way we have drawn a little bit from the beautiful tradition and history that we have in these stories. God, thank you for speaking into the awkward silence and begin making an account of the people and the things that we do have, that are here, that are fully present. And God, as you speak into that and give us that accounting, may we turn our hearts and our eyes toward the promised land, whatever that may be, whatever that may look like, whatever, uh, whatever shape or form that may take, because you have spoken into that silence, into that awkward silence with an accounting of what is and may that empower us to move forward. And I pray in your name. And into the silence, everybody said? Amen. Amen.